Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'd like to start out kind of pulling together a few different threads that have to do with how our country is and how it got here. You know, I think this is really important stuff. First of all, we see Ted Cruz going to Cancun because Texas has lost power and people are freezing to death. So, you know, what does a politician who wants to be president of the United States and and show how noble and how much he cares about his people, what does he do? Well, he and his wife uh, head head to Cancun. The story now is that he's caught a flight back. He had to take economy because that was all that was available. I mean, again, this is just what I'm seeing in the press. I haven't been able to personally confirm any of this, but but I think that what it what it highlights is that when a political party depends on lies for its existence, rather than governing, rather than actually offering solutions to problems, rather than actually trying to address issues head on, when instead they rely on lies, this is the predictable result. You get politicians who are, who are just like doing crazy. They don't care. They'll uh, let a guy who, who incites an insurrection get off the hook. They'll let a guy who tries to blackmail a foreign country to help him get elected get off the hook. They'll let a guy who steals hundreds of millions of dollars from his own campaign programs, who illegally pays off porn stars and, and Playboy bunnies to shut them up during a campaign, they'll let him get off the hook. In fact, New York, uh, you know, the Southern District of New York has dropped their case against Donald Trump for paying off Stormy Daniels. The, the same case that sent Michael Cohen to prison for three years. So this is, this is where you get with this. And, and there's even a bigger picture than this. This Republican ideology of big government is a terrible thing. The only purpose of government should be to run the police and the military. You don't want regulation of any kind of industry whatsoever. That philosophy, I mean, is so embedded in the Republican Party that when the Republicans in Texas in in the 1970s, in the late 1970s, I believe it was during the Carter administration, when when the federal government, or it might have been even the EPA, you know, which came into being under Nixon over his veto the first time, but whatever it was, back in the day, Republicans in Texas decided they didn't want any federal regulation of their power system. None whatsoever. 
So they sealed it off from all the surrounding states because the federal government can only regulate interstate commerce. The, the Constitution specifically gives the, the federal government the authority to, to regulate interstate commerce. This is what Bobby Kennedy used to break up segregated lunch counters in, the, in Georgia and, and uh, South Carolina and Alabama back in the 1960s because they had Heinz ketchup on their lunch counters, which meant that they were buying something that was made in Pennsylvania. That's interstate commerce, and therefore he could bring in the police and say you can't have a segregated lunch counter. So you have to have the interstate commerce. So Texas said, okay, screw that. We're not going to have any interstate commerce. We're going to run our own power grid. And we're seeing the result right now. And now they're trying to whine. You get, you get these fools on Fox News going, well, it's the frozen windmills. It, these are the same windmills that are working just fine in Norway and Greenland. If there's a problem with them, it's because Texas didn't, didn't plan for cold weather, which shouldn't have been a surprise. Ten years ago, they had literally the exact same, well, it didn't last as long and it wasn't quite as cold, but you know they had a massive snowstorm and their grid went down for a couple of days. The state of Texas looked at this and said, you know, you got to winterize your damn systems here. Your gas is freezing up. Your coal-fired power plants are going to freeze up. Your nuclear plants can't cool themselves properly because the water that they use for cooling freezes up. Presumably, they could have predicted that there would be a problem with a few hundred of the over 10,000 windmills in Texas. But no, we're deregulated. We're not paying any attention to that because it's a party based on lies. That party based on lies has so gutted the American working class that here in Portland, Oregon, a couple of days ago, when we lost power, I, you know, I tweeted, Louise and I were sleeping under four blankets with three cats and two dogs. We had no power, we had no lights, we had no heat for you know, the better part of a day, a day and a night. And uh, you know, it was kind of romantic being you know, under all those blankets watching uh, you know, a Netflix movie on my iPhone that I was powering with a battery stored up on a flashlight. <laughs> But, but, you know, we had it easy. I mean, it was only, it was only in the high 20s here in Portland, and, and I, we were only out of power for about a day. There are chunks of Portland where we're th three days into this, still no power. But, you know, we're doing a good job of restoring it. But again, we've got a private for-profit power company that, you know, you've got to pay dividends to your shareholders. The various companies in Texas generated over $600 million in profits last year. Where did that money go? It went to the shareholders. It did not go to powering the line. So anyhow, we had this power failure here in Portland, and as a result, one of our Kroger chain stores, it's called Fred Myers, it's owned by Kroger's, the company that just pulled their pandemic pay bonuses from their workers, they followed what basically is not just policy, but in some regards, the law. You've got spoiled food, it has to go in the dumpster. And they put it in the dumpster, but then the, for some bizarre reason, the employees of the store started guarding the dumpster against people coming to get this food. I mean, whole turkeys and hams and, 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 and juices and cheese and you know, a lot of stuff that only technically was bad. And there's this big uproar going on in Portland about it right now. The police showed up, and for a couple of hours, they prevented people from getting the food out of the dumpsters. And then the police decided, hey, this is crazy, and they left. And the people got the food out of the dumpster, so kind of happy ending. But, but the bigger question that everybody is missing in this you know, hot debate here in Portland about whether you know, our Mayor Ted Wheeler, who's also the police commissioner, screwed up 
or whether Kroger shouldn't have put it in the trash or whether they should have put a table out in front or whatever. The big issue that's being ignored is the fact that we have thousands of homeless people in Portland who are hungry. This is not a problem that other developed countries by and large have. And it's a problem you can track right back to Reaganomics. For 40 years, we've had a homeless problem in this country that has been exploding. But somehow, you know, our local newspaper, even the national stories, and, and you know, it's all over Twitter. Oh, my God, the cops are terrible. Well, yeah, it was wrong for them to, 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 to keep people out of the dumpster. Oh, my God, Kroger is terrible. Yeah, that was wrong, too. But nobody's asking the question, why were 100 homeless people down there looking for food? Or local residents who were trying to gather food from that dumpster to give to homeless people. Because there were some of them too. And that tracks back to a Republican Party that just believes in lies. And I'll dig a little deeper into that in just a moment. I, I published a, a whole long rant about it that I think you'll find really fascinating over at uh, TomHartman.Medium.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And of course, that rant will reappear on TomHartman.com on our blogs, and, and, we'll be, and Sue will be pushing it out in our free newsletter. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. In 2004, the second year of this program, a fellow by the name of John Gray in Cincinnati, Ohio, or at least that's how it was attributed on the internet. This thing went wildly viral in 2004, and you can still find echoes of it all over the internet, wrote a piece or a blog called A Day in the Life of Joe Middle Class Republican. In it, he kind of laid out the exact conundrum, and keep in mind, this was 16 years ago, 17 years ago, that he wrote this. 
assuming that he's the author of it. I mean, it's been attributed to other people as well over the years. Some people have attributed it to me. I did not originate. I had been talking it for some time. And in fact, you know, I, I wrote several books. Screwed is probably the best book that essentially says the same thing, but, you know, in many more words. But I just want to share this with you because it just encapsulates exactly what's going on in Texas right now, in Louisiana, in Oklahoma, the power utility situation in California. This is not a problem unique to blue states or red states. This is a problem that has to do with this fundamental debate in America about what is government? Why do we create governments? What is the goal of government? But I'll get back to that in a minute. This is a day in the life of Joe Republican. Joe gets up at 6 a.m. to prepare his morning coffee. He fills his pot full of good, clean drinking water because some liberal fought for minimum water quality standards. He takes his daily medication with his first swallow of coffee. His medications are safe to take because some liberal fought to ensure that they're, that they're safe and they work as advertised. You realize, of course, that was not always the case. All but $10 of his medications are paid for by his employer's medical plan because some liberal union workers fought their employers for paid medical insurance, and now Joe gets it too. He prepares his morning breakfast, bacon and eggs this day. Joe's bacon is safe to eat. You know, it used to be contaminated with trichinomiasis and things. Joe's bacon is safe to eat because some liberal fought for laws to regulate the meatpacking industry. Joe takes his morning shower, reaching for his shampoo. His bottle is properly labeled with every ingredient and the amount of its contents because some liberal fought for his right to know what he was putting on his body and how much it contained. Joe dresses, walks outside, takes a deep breath. The airy breeze is clean because some tree-hugging liberal fought for laws to stop industries from polluting our air. He walks to the subway station for his government-subsidized ride to work. Saves him considerable money in parking and transportation fees. You see, some liberal fought for affordable public transportation, which gives everyone the opportunity to be a contributor. Joe begins his workday. He has a good job with excellent pay, medical benefits, retirement, paid holidays, and vacations. Because some liberal union members fought and died for these working standards. Joe's employer pays these standards because Joe's employer doesn't want his employees to call in the union. If Joe is hurt on the job or becomes unemployed, he'll get a workers' compensation check or unemployment check because some liberal didn't think he should lose his home because of a temporary misfortune. It's noontime. Joe needs to make a bank deposit so he can pay some bills. Joe's deposit is federally insured by the FSLIC because some liberal wanted to protect Joe's money from unscrupulous bankers who ruined the banking system before the Great Depression. Joe has to pay off his Fannie Mae underwritten mortgage and his below-market federal student loan because some stupid liberal decided that Joe and the government would be better off if he was educated and earned more money over his lifetime. Joe is home from work. He plans to visit his father this evening at the farm out in the country where he grew up. He gets in his car to drive out to Dad's. His car is among the safest in the world because some liberal fought for safety standards. He arrives at his boyhood home. He is the third generation to live in a house financed by the Farmers Home Administration because banksters didn't want to make rural loans. The house didn't even have electricity until some big government liberal stuck his nose where it didn't belong and demanded rural electrification. 
He's happy to see his dad, who's now retired, as Dad lives on Social Security and his union pension because some liberal made sure he could take care of himself so Joe wouldn't have to. After his visit with Dad, he gets back in the car for the ride home. Joe turns on the radio to a talk show, and the host keeps saying that liberals are bad and conservatives are good. Joe agrees. We don't need those big government liberals ruining our lives. After all, I'm a self-made man who believes everyone should take care of themselves just like I have. Right. John Gray, 2004, Cincinnati, Ohio, is the reference to that. And it's not just me pointing this out, and it's not just you noticing this. All around the world, people are looking at the United States and going, oh my God. And I'm not just talking about the four years of insanity under the last guy. I'm going to start <laughs> using Joe Biden's Last night, Joe Biden did a town hall on CNN, and Anderson Cooper asked him a couple of questions about the former president. And Biden used his name once and said, I don't much like talking about him. And then after that, he always referred to him as the last guy, or the one guy who hasn't called me. But you're familiar with The Lancet? The Lancet is the most highly respected medical journal in the world. It has a better reputation than the Journal of the American Medical Association, even. The Lancet is like really, really well known. And they have a thing called the Lancet Commission on Public Policy and Health. Their job is to offer suggestions to legislatures, you know, to the British Parliament or, or just to publish stuff in the Lancet. The Lancet is peer reviewed. Everything that's published in there has been evaluated by scientists and determined to be through a consensus, determined to be what it says it is. So let me just share with you this. This is from the Lancet. You can find it on their website, thelancet.com. This report by the Lancet Commission on Public Policy and Health in the Trump Era assesses the repercussions of President Donald Trump's health-related policies and examines the failures and social schisms that enabled his election. And then they get right into it. It's very straightforward. This is kind of the abstract, the summary. Trump exploited low- and middle-income white people's anger over their deteriorating life prospects to mobilize racial animus and xenophobia enlist their support for policies that benefit high-income people and corporations and threaten health. That's the opening sentence of this report from The Lancet. His signature legislative achievement, a trillion-dollar tax cut for corporations and high-income individuals, opened a budget hole that Trump used to justify cutting food subsidies and health care. His appeals to racism Nativism have emboldened white nationalists and encouraged police violence and toward the end of his term in office, insurrection. Again, they're looking at this as a public health issue. Trump chose judges for U.S. courts who are dismissive of affirmative action and reproductive labor, civil and voting rights, ordered the mass detention of immigrants in hazardous conditions and promulgated regulations that reduce access to abortion and contraception in the U.S. and globally, writes the Lancet Commission. Although his effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act failed, he weakened its coverage and increased the number of uninsured people in America by 2 to 3 million, even before the mass dislocation of the COVID-19 pandemic, and has accelerated the privatization of government health programs. Trump's hostility to environmental regulations have already worsened pollution, resulting in more than 22,000 extra deaths in 2019 alone, 
hastened global warming and despoiled national monuments and lands sacred to native people. Disdain for science and cuts to global health programs and public health agencies have impeded the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, causing tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths and imperiled advances against HIV and other diseases. And Trump's bellicose trade, defense, and foreign policy have led to economic disruption and threatened an upswing in armed conflict. That's it. That's the entire thing from The Lancet, the most prestigious most credible medical journal in the world looking across the pond from the UK at the United States and saying, look at this Republican public health disaster. And I don't know how you can call it anything other than that, a, you know, a, a GOP public health disaster. It's really mind-boggling when you think about it. Also, this is the first time you and I have had a chance to talk since the 43 senators, Republican senators in the United States Senate decided that treason was just fine with them. Insurrection, a little insurrection, no problem. This is nuts. I get it that now, well, actually there's a bunch of things going on. There's this uh, group runforwhat.net, I believe is their website. They're recruiting candidates to run against the 57, as I recall, Republican elected officials who actually invaded the Capitol. But on top of that, now there's these seven Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump. That's Richard Burr of North Carolina, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Susan Collins of Maine. Richard Burr is retiring. Bill Cassidy is retiring. Susan Collins was just reelected. Mitt Romney is incredibely popular. Lisa Murkowski is probably the one most at risk. I believe she's up for re-election in two years. I may be wrong and it's four years, but I'm pretty sure she's up for re-election in two years. Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania is retiring, and I frankly don't recall the story with Ben Sass in Nebraska. Either he has quite a ways to go. I don't think he's retiring. I, th I think he just has a ways to go. And so these senators who won't be up for re-election for four or six years, the, the equation that they're making, the bet that they're making, a remedy that Congress could, could choose to take on, I'm guessing they won't, but we'll see. And this doesn't require a two-thirds vote. This could be done by a simple majority, which would simply block him from running again, but it wouldn't cut off all those other things. These Republicans who claim to be such great patriots are actually traitors. They don't give a damn about America. They don't give a rat's ass about this country or the ideals this country was founded on. They stand for basically two things, white supremacy. And I realize the, the media is dressing this all up in all kinds of other issues, like, you know, our guns and all this kind of stuff. But it all boils down to white supremacy, white grievance on the one hand, and the interests of billionaires and big corporations on the other. The billionaires and big corporations want more tax breaks. Big corporations are paying 21% top income tax rate right now. They're paying over 50% through most of the history of the 20th century until Reagan came along. And Trump took it from 25 or 26% down to 21%. But the bottom line is that within the Republican Party, there is now a clear fascist element. 
I've been using the word fascist for a long time. I, you know, I was seeing fascism rising with the George W. Bush presidency and the Patriot Act, and I still stand by that. Back then, people were going, oh, you know, it's a little strong language, isn't it, Hartman? Uh, now nobody's saying that, you know, because, yeah, this is the logical result of it. Before the Reagan revolution, government regularly did what the majority of people wanted done. People wanted Social Security, they got it. People wanted Medicare, they got it. People wanted Medicaid, they got it. People wanted long-term unemployment insurance, they got it. They wanted Pell Grants for college, they got it. I mean, on and on and right, you know, housing supports, they got it. Welfare programs, food stamps. What people wanted, people got. Post-Reagan revolution, that's just stopped happening. And while the majority, the vast majority, over 70, 80% of Americans want a national health care system that's cheap, if not free, want college to be free and student debt to be wiped out, want a minimum wage of $15 an hour, want a government guarantee of jobs if we're in a recession or a depression, and on and on. I could go through the list. While the majority of Americans want that, none of that is happening and hasn't in 20 years. That's a sign of oligarchy. Now, the problem is that oligarchy is a very unstable form of government. Because the people aren't getting what they want, but you still technically have a democracy. Now, if the people elect the genuine populist, like we did with Abraham Lincoln in 1861, and like we did with Franklin Roosevelt in 1933, if the people elect a genuine populist and you get genuine populism, in other words, the will of the people is returned, then your oligarchy diminishes and you go back to being functionally a democracy. However, if the people elect the phony populist, as Germany did in the 1930s, you know, and we could go through the history of fascism all around the world, and if the Republicans in the United States Senate can continue to prevent the populist policies that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ran on and are trying to govern with right now, mm -hmm. if these Republican fascists can prevent those populist policies from happening, that in 2024, you're going to have, again, a recurrence of populism, and you're going to have Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz or Rick Scott, Tom Cotton out there saying, I'm going to get the people what they really want. They're going to be doing the same populist BS that Donald Trump did. And if they get elected, they will turn this into a fascist nation. And on the other hand, you're probably going to see another Bernie Sanders kind of figure. This time around, it'll probably be Elizabeth Warren or somebody else altogether who is going to be taking on Harris and Biden saying, no, wait a minute, you guys weren't able to pull it off. And it's all because of the damn filibuster, because Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin are insisting that the filibuster stay in place so that their special interests are protected by the filibuster. And as a result, all of American democracy is crippled. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's talk radio for the sane among us, the Tom Hartman program, fair and only slightly unbalanced. <laughs> Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud, 
with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On the line with us is Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Co's, co-founder of the polling firm Civics, C-I-V-I-Q-S, co-host of The Brief, the Daily Co's political show, Daily Co's, D-A-I-L-Y-K-O-S dot com. If you are not familiar with it, it's one of the best sources of good progressive news and information out there, as well as working in an extraordinary fashion, and I want to get into this with Marcos, to elect good progressives all across the country. Marcos's Twitter handle is at Marcos, M-A-R-K-O-S, or at Daily Coase. Marcos, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've talked, and, and, I'm, and I'm so glad you could drop by. First of all, what we originally booked you on was this $3,600 tax credit, an op-ed that you wrote over on your own website, dailycoase.com, talking about how this was politically brilliant. Uh, you want to explain that? $3,600 there's the $1,400 sort of stimulus to everybody. That's part of the plan. But on top of that, there's also a proposal for a tax credit, child tax credit, that would go to families for each individual child. Any child under the age of six, I believe, would be $3,600. Anybody over the age of six would be $3,000. And it would be paid monthly. It would actually be a check sent to the, by the IRS to each family for every child, and it would be a monthly check. So the $3,600 check would be a $300 check a month. Now, the way the legislation is built, it's, it expires in a year, but the intent is to have it be permanent. And with the majorities, I think they, they'll be able to manage that. And then what you have, in addition to being the best thing you can do to combat child poverty, and, and estimates say that it could, it could pull at least almost half, if not half, of all children in poverty could pull them out of poverty within a year. So this would be, just from a policy perspective, you know, it's, it's fantastic. It's literally the best thing you can do. But on top of that is that political angle is we're going to have a tough 2022. We have a narrow majority in the House. We have the narrowest majority in the Senate. And all the battleground Senate states are literally the 2020 battleground. It's Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, Georgia. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, I think I said it already. So it's the exact same map in 2020. And as we saw, all of those states were razor, razor tight. And there's a problem with the history that says that basically any president's first midterm election after being first elected, they lose seats. And, and the exception was George Bush after 9-11. But generally speaking, presidents lose seats their first midterm election. So 
how do we combat that? How do we how do we avoid that fate? Is we got to keep people engaged and we got to give people a reason to vote. And I can't think of a better reason for people to vote <laughs> than if it becomes a debate between do you keep getting a three hundred dollar check for your kid or not every single month? Mm-hmm. And we know where Republicans stand on that question. And so it would be a very clear sort of example of how Democrats can deliver for people in a way that Republicans refuse to. So if we were to pass this, if the Democrats in the House and Senate and and the president were to sign this in the near term now, and it lasts for a year, they would be coming up for renewal around the middle of the primary season, wouldn't it? And leading into the general election season for 2022? Yeah, absolutely. This is why I think just from a politics standpoint, if you really want to give people a reason to turn out and vote in a midterm election where base turnout is already low in general. If you want to give them a reason to turn out, then you got to get people, <laughs> you got to get people benefits of turning out, right? right? And for families with kids, it would be checks for students, for younger people, it would be loan forgiveness. I mean, you, you got to find ways to sort of deliver for the people that brought you. I mean, Donald Trump did that in a crass way, right? I mean, he dumped with billions farmers. of dollars into Iowa. Yeah, Yeah. and he did that stuff. But these are things that can be done that would be good policy and good politics, and it's sort of a win-win. And what's great about the sort of modern Democratic Party, and Tom, you've been around as long as, you've been around longer than I have, I believe. We've seen where the party used to be, and the fact that this is not just being considered, but seems to be on a fast track for passage means that we have a much different Democratic Party today than we did even 10 years ago. Is this going to be built into the into the reconciliation appropriation? Yeah, as far as I mean, that's the way. So, it looks right which, now. which raises a, a second issue, and and this is something that I've been worrying about out loud and and writing about on on my daily blog over on uh, medium.com, is this this idea that the most poisonous toxin for a democracy is cynicism, and you know we're forty years into this Reaganomics era now. And as Gillens and Page pointed out in 2014, we are 20 years now into an era that could be described as oligarchy, if you describe an oligarchy as when government ceases to function for the people and starts working exclusively for the oligarchs. I mean, it's been a long time through the Clinton administration, through the Obama administration. It's been a long time since we've seen anything close to what we got out of the LBJ administration, for example, with Medicare and Medicaid and the Civil Rights Act and and Voting Rights Act and and food stamps and Section 9 housing and and Pell Grants and on and on and on. I mean, you know, lots and lots of stuff. We used to get stuff for people before Reaganism and now not so much. And my concern is that if the filibuster is not blown up. And I understand now Dianne Feinstein has joined Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and saying, no, no, we like Republicans to be able to veto our legislation. If the filibuster is not blown up, then not much is going to happen. And if not much happens, then in 2024, get ready for President Tom Cotton or Rick Scott. Yeah, the filibuster obviously has to go. We've been, we at Daily Coast have been railing against the filibuster since the existence of Daily Coast since 2002, even when it benefited Democrats. It's just an undemocratic procedure that has no basis in history of the Constitution. It just needs to go. Feinstein's awful, for sure. The trick here is to make it less a debate about 
just procedure and actually make it a debate about something tangible. So there is definitely a move amongst Democrats to put pressure on the filibuster when the time is right, when there's popular legislation on the table that won't pass because of the filibuster, and then the screws can be really tightened on Manchin. I think everybody else sort of falls in line. I think Manchin's the one who has been very, very adamant that he's not going to let it go. But you know what? You pass filibuster reform, Manchin becomes the most powerful man in the Senate. And I don't know. <laughs> so if you maybe play to that ego. I've been uh, speculating you know, that he's doing this because the coal industry in West Virginia very much likes the filibuster because it prevents any Green New Deal kind of legislation that might blow up the coal industry. What do you think? I think it's a little deeper than that. Um, the coal industry is dead at this point. I don't think anybody's really pretending yeah. otherwise. It plays to that sort of pretense of bipartisanship and we can all find some middle ground and and this forces us to be more mindful. I think it plays to that. What strategy do you see could get them to join us in dumping the filibuster? If you get Manchin, I think you get Cinema. I I don't see her being the lone holdout. The question becomes what gets Manchin to come along. And the thing about Manchin that's really sort of fascinating and interesting, having followed him for over a decade, is that he's sounding like a Democrat right now. And it is weird. <laughs> he, I think Trump may have broken him. Or maybe it's just he won re-election a couple of years ago, and he realizes that was it. Like, he doesn't have any more time. Because West Virginia is, what, a 40-point Trump state. By all rights, it should have two crazy Republicans representing it. And he barely hung on. I don't know if he, he can survive another, another re-election. And maybe he realizes it and is sort of shifting. So... He shifted on the $1.9 trillion because he was really adamant at one point that he didn't want it to be more than a trillion dollars. or And uh, and he wanted that income cap at 50000 not 75000 And so he sort of caved, you know, it's such an ugly word, and so I don't want to necessarily use it, but he's finally sort of conceded on those. So he's even been sort of squishy on Puerto Rico and D.C. statehood. So he's sounding more and more like a Democrat. I think there's a chance there that we can get him when the time's right. So, Marcos, just to summarize, what can individuals who are listening to us or watching us right at this moment, what can they most effectively do to try to get Joe Manchin to say yes to ending the filibuster? Or is this going to be one of those kind of organic processes where the Democrats bring forth a really good piece of legislation out of the House And instead of just kind of ignoring it, as happened so often during the Obama administration, Joe Biden starts just pounding the table about this thing, saying, we've got to pass this. The Republicans are obstructing us in the Senate. And pressure will build as a consequence of of that to blow up the filibuster. How do you see this playing out? And what can people do to most effectively influence Senator Manchin? So I don't think there's much we can do as anybody that doesn't live in West Virginia can do to influence him. At this point, in fact, I think he takes pride in sticking it to liberals historically. But you know what's going to happen is that there's going to be some very important piece of legislation. And Manchin has very clearly said that he's not going to be the reason that Joe Biden fails, right? So it's going to be a lot of it's going to be on Joe Biden. And I think Joe Biden has been surprisingly good out of the gate. I never would have imagined. Obviously, he was maybe my 10th primary candidate choice. And he's done absolutely much better than expected. And and the stimulus bill, the $1.9 trillion bill, is a big part of that. But we have a big one coming that may be the piece, and that's the uh, HR1. That's the voting rights one. 
And mm-hmm. this is going to be a, a landmark piece of legislation that's going to de- determine whether Republicans can keep disenfranchising tens of millions of Americans. And so the question is going to come down to Manchin, and he's going to have to decide whether he's the reason that he screws his entire party and Joe Biden's reelection chances or if he's going to be on the right side of history. And like I think I said earlier is that I don't get the sense that he's running for re-election anymore. He's sounding a lot more like a Democrat these days than he ever has since I first started following him. That gives me hope that he may not want to get rid of the filibuster, but given the choice between standing in the way of a landmark civil rights legislation and upholding what is basically a Jim Crow maneuver, the filibuster was used to stop the Civil Rights Act, to slow it down. Right. You know, is he going to be that person? Is he going to stand in the way of landmark civil rights legislation or not? And I think there's a good chance that given the pressure from the rest of his caucus, given the pressure of just history and Joe Biden himself, that that may be what gets him to turn on the filibuster. I'm equally impressed by Joe Biden, and I was equally unenthusiastic about him during the primary. But I think you're absolutely right. He's really starting to do a good job. I think that there's some real possibilities here. I really do. Joe Biden, assuming that he is willing to use the, you know, the public megaphone the way that it's been used in the past. What are the points that you are finding in, over at Daily Kos? I mean, one of the things that I love about Daily Kos, and I, I read it every day, is that it's a good weather vane is the wrong word, but you get the sense, you understand what I'm saying. It, it kind of tells me the direction, at least from the perspective of you and a number of your writers. And there are a couple in particular that I just, Gabe Ortiz and Mark Summer, just brilliant stuff. It kind of focuses on where politics are at right now. What is at the top of your list? To me, it's taking advantage of this moment in time. We're out of the Trump disaster. The country is in so many challenges. I get the sense and feeling that Democrats are actually stepping up. And one of the the biggest sort of accomplishments, I think, for Democrats, believe it or not, isn't even a piece of legislation or anything, is getting rid of this idea that bipartisanship means getting Mitch McConnell to agree with you. And that hamstrung Mm -hmm. Obama and so many Democrats before that, and even the D.C. press still wants to think that bipartisanship means getting Republican votes. It doesn't. Bipartisanship is the fact that the COVID relief bill has the approval rating of like 86% of Americans. That is bipartisanship. It's stop thinking of D.C. as the arbiter of bipartisanship and look to policies that are popular with the American people. And Joe Biden has very specifically embraced that. And when you do that, everything opens up, right? Because all the things that we care about are popular with the American people, from the Green New Deal and climate change legislation to civil rights legislation, voting rights legislation, criminal justice reform, all of those things are actually popular with the American people. And who cares if Mitch McConnell and his caucus care or not? The American people love it. And Democrats, by embracing that national sort of mandate, I think are poised for some really good things in the years ahead. From your lips to God's ears, Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos, D-A-I-L-Y-K-O-S.com. If you don't read it every day, you're missing out. Thank you, Marcos. Great talking with you. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. You can also tweet Marcos and say hi at Marcos, M-A-R-K-O-S. Tom in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? A simple question. You know what uh, Texas would have if they'd had more of some uh, home solar energy right now? They'd have electricity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... If, if this situation doesn't call out the need for more renewable energy instead of less, yep. 
Because and decentralized it, power it generation. Yeah. If you had it and it comes straight to your home and you have a blackout, you can get off the grid, you can power your home, you can power your battery, any extra you can put back on the grid and help people. And also wind, too. The same storms that pushed in the cold and snow also would power wind turbine. Right. It's, I mean... Yeah, and there's been... There's been no substantial drop in the amount of electricity being generated by the wind turbines in Texas from the stories that I'm reading. There have been a few turbines that went offline and provided a photo op for Fox News. But overall, there's been so much wind that the rest of the wind turbines have been keeping up. No problem. But but I think the, the, the larger point here, Tom, from your point, and it's a brilliant one, is community power. I mean, this this is something that that uh, you know I, I I wrote about this in the last hours of ancient sunlight that that neighborhoods we should be we should be doing power at the level of neighborhoods we should be doing power generation at the level level of neighborhoods if everybody in the neighborhood has solar panels if the neighborhood itself has a windmill uh, you have a good storage system of some kind and there's different you know there's debates about what's the best way whether you whether you uh, through hydrolysis create hydrogen and then burn that hydrogen in a in a generator later on when you need it or you know how, how you deal with that but that way everybody in the neighborhood is invested in the same system and if something if a system goes down it only affects one city block or one you know area of four or five city blocks and and that and then you know if you've got a big grid coming in the grid is like supplemental to that but you know you at, at, at core at, at base um, you've got a system, and, and, and I don't know of any communities in America that are aggressively doing this right now. I know that it's being done in some places in Europe. Um, I don't know if you know of any, Tom. Uh, I've, I've heard of it, and I've seen pictures all over, you know, saying, hey, look, here's a solar panel or a wind turbine up in the Arctic in Sweden, and it seems yeah. to be working. And I, was, I just went on a vacation over to Western Maryland, uh, cross-country skiing, but what struck me is right on the spine of the Appalachians and the Pennsylvania uh, Maryland border was this big array of uh, wind turbines. Now, mm -hmm. it has to be 20 below there. The wind's pushing it, and they seem to be working all the time. Don't tell me they can't work in Texas, too. Yeah. No, when, when uh, Louise and I lived in New Hampshire, this was like 20 years ago, they were starting to put windmills up. And, and it's colder than hell up there. I mean, it was, we were living on a mountain. We were living on Stinson Mountain, you know, a couple thousand feet above the ground. And it, it got really cold and there was a lot of snow. And, there, and there's this whole ridge of uh, out near Plymouth, New Hampshire, along Route 25, this whole long ridge of, of giant windmills. And they work just fine. But apparently Texas can't figure out how to do that because they got people like Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott running their state. And uh, obviously Ted Cruz represents their state doesn't run it but you know same mentality and it's it's really really sad tom thank you thank you uh, very well said and, and uh, great comments to the point bigger question how do we deal with this how do we deal with the fact that republicans have been lying to their voters for 40 years and there are still people believing those lies and there's still media like fox news and right-wing hate radio amplifying those lies what do we do about that Blair Erskine is a, if I'm pronouncing that right, B-L-A-I-R-E-E-R-S-K-I-N-E. -E -E, if you want to check her out on Twitter, in fact, I'm going to follow her as soon as I get off the air here. She just posted a, it was a joke, right? She, she posted this presentation as if it was, and I assume it's her, as if she was uh, Ted Cruz's spokesperson. 
saying um, to the camera, uh, yeah, Senator Cruz is in Cancun right now, but you know, here at his office, we say, big whoop, Senator Cruz deserves to relax, unwind, unplug, recharge, you know, like, like you want a power outlet. And people think it's real. They, they think it's actually Cruz's office. But here, I mean, this is from parody to reality, Dinesh D'Souza, you know, one of the reliable right-wing trolls who, who is uh, constantly uh, trying to own the libs, he came out, and this is an actual tweet from Dinesh D'Souza. He said, what could Ted Cruz do if he were here in Texas? I'm hard-pressed to say. If he's in Cancun, that means he's not using up valuable resources of energy, food, and water that could now be used by someone else. This is the, probably the best thing he could do for the state right now. Well, yeah! Having Ted Cruz leave is always the best thing you can do for any state. It's the best thing that could happen for, to America. I mean, here we have one of America's leading conservative pundits saying, Ted Cruz is useless. <laughs> and then now the story now the story gets uh, even weirder. Um, Cruz contacted the the uh, Texas State Police and uh, the Department of Highway Patrol or whatever it's called. There's an acronym for it, and asked them to meet him at the airport uh, on his flight back from Cancun, so he doesn't have to go through what Lindsey Graham went through, where people you know yell at you in the airport. Uh, he wants them to basically spirit him off the plane down down a little stairway that they have next to the plane, you know, that the service people use, and stick him in a cop car and and, and take him out of there. I don't know if the police are going to do it or not, or if they have done it or not. I don't know if he's still in the air or if he's already landed in Texas, but this is hysterical. CJ in Sabal, Texas. Am I saying that right, CJ? Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening uh, to us on SiriusXM. What's up? Hi, right, Tom. Uh, how you doing? This is Sibilo, Texas. Um, you, you took all my thunder with the with the Ted Cruz thing. It's like these people down here are getting a, a reality check on when capitalism meets deregulation, and um, it, and everybody down here we know what's up. We we know that it's not the windmills, it's not a political thing. Uh, Greg Abbott got on TV that a couple nights ago and tried claiming that crap, and we're all suffering down here. I mean, I luckily I got my uh, my energy turned back on last night. Uh, it's been on ever since, but there's some people who don't have it. We have people who are on dialysis. We have people who have have LVADs at home um, and don't have power. Um, it's not a joke. Uh, I know we don't get this down here a lot, but uh, right now we, we're in the middle of another snowstorm. Uh, the city to my east is getting about a half a foot right now, and it's probably mm -hmm. going to happen again. This 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 is going to happen over and over again. Even the guys who run the run ERCOT, the top guys. One guy lives in Germany, you know. And, and there's yeah, no this one is in the, the this is the Power Oversight in Board in Texas. Actually, uh, uh, it's a it's a minority of the members. But I, what is it? Three of the members don't even live in Texas, and one of them lives in Europe. One of them lives in Germany. Yeah, one and the other one. I think another guy lives up in in Florida somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. But. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the, the most of the people out of power are, are the people of color, poor communities down here. I'm not hearing about anything right. like the, the the rich communities, like the Dominion and stuff like that. But um, there, the, the we get weather like this all the time. It's not like it's had been this cold. It's just the fact that they knew this was coming a week and a half out, and. Right. You know, they didn't they didn't renderize nothing. You know, they, they have all these windows. CJ, they knew this was coming eleven years out. 
I mean, right. uh, or, or 10 years out, 2011 was the last time this happened in February. I mean, it would literally, it's been exactly 10 years since the last time this happened. And then the last time before that was 1989. And the power companies in Texas basically decided that it's more important to shovel their hundreds of millions of dollars a year in profits into the pockets of their billionaire investors than it is to take that money and use it to winterize their systems. It's real simple. Unless I'm missing it something, means- CJ. Well, no, you got it right on, right on point. This is the fact that we got a bunch of fat cats here in Texas who would just rather than, than regulate, they just want to you know, legislate through through profits. And that's why Ted Cruz left the state because he knows he's wrong. He denigrated us, for, uh, he denigrated California last year when almost, when almost burned to the ground. And here we are, you know, needing help uh, two weeks out from wanting to secede from the union, which is ironic, you know, now we want help. Right. But uh, I hope yeah, Ted Cruz already already went out to the five apps and tried talking to him. His his boards are full. You came and talked to him. But if he hears this show right now, tell him you know Ted Cruz, stay your ass in Cancun. You don't need you here. You're not helping. <laughs> there you go, CJ. I get it. I totally get it. And thank you for uh, listening to us there in Texas. I'm glad your power is back on. You're absolutely right. This is a life and death issue. Um, you know, from people who are on ventilators or dialysis who need, you know, the electricity to, to literally stay alive to people who uh, have, for example, insulin in, in their refrigerator that can't can't hit room temperature or it degrades very rapidly. And, and, and that's probably millions of people in Texas, not just, you know, tens of thousands. Um, this is a, this is a screaming disaster, and it, it is all it was all fueled by this Republican lie that markets solve everything, that government has no reason, you know, no purpose, can never do good. Um, it's just plain old flat out wrong. Thank you, CJ, for the call. It's great to hear from you, uh, John in Redmond, Washington. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Um, just curious. This is somewhat tangential, but um, if you knew about Bill Gates' new book that came out and how he talks about getting to zero emissions in 30 years, and his his point is nuclear powers has got to be part of that equation. And I guess he mm-hmm. he's, a, he's advanced this uh, Terra Power company, and they basically, they feel it's a safer and more efficient reactor build. Yeah. By using multi- there was a really good right. review of, of Bill Gates' book. Uh, I read it last night. It was either in the Washington Post or the New York Times. And basically what they're pointing out is that Bill Gates completely missed the recent technological advances. Bill Gates is playing down the speed with which solar and wind are becoming less expensive, uh, trying to compare it to Moore's Law. And and actually, they are becoming, you know, in fact, the projections that were made in 2010 for 100 years out are where we're at right now in terms of the viability of solar and wind. 10 years, just 10 years ago, the, the predictions that were made, they thought it would take us 100 years. We are there right now. And that's completely missing from Bill Gates' book. Instead, he's going for these high-tech solutions like, you know, new nuclear and all this kind of stuff that, you know, may well just make the problem worse. I'm deeply and profoundly disappointed by Bill Gates and this whole thing. Anyhow, thanks a lot for the call. Michael in Imperial Beach, California. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? People, the workers that were guarding the dumpster of food, earlier in your program mm-hmm. that just reminded me of when my grandfather was a little boy living on the farm in north canton ohio um which is where kent state university stuck state campus is now there were people that were coming in from the city of Masson who were poor and came into the potato field and started taking potatoes from the field 
My okay, was this during the Great Depression? Father, this was during the Depression. My okay. grandfather asked his father, should I go in the house and get the gun? His father responded with, no. He said, we're farmers. We live out here in the country, and we have plenty to eat. The people outside, out there in the potato field are from the city. They're most likely starving and have children, and as long as they don't take everything, I'm not going to deny them or their children a meal or God two. bless him. God bless him. Kurt, what a, what a heartwarming story. Rest of his life. Yeah, there you go. And see, here we are. We're back in a second Republican Great Depression. And, you know, and this kind of stuff is happening where the cops are guarding the dumpsters. It's amazing. Kurt, thank you for that. Thank you for a little bit of humanity today. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So how do you think we best get out of this? How should the Democrats most effectively call out the Republican lies? And when is the media going to stop letting these Republican lies go through? So let me just tie this up and put a bow on it here. The audacity of these Republican lies, the lie that is being promoted across Fox News, right-wing media, and by the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, that the windmills are the reason why Texas is shut down right now. Texas's power systems are shut down. Instead of the, the simple reality that they have known for 20 years, this is, the, this is the, the third snow incident in 20 years, there was one in 1989, one in 2011. Both of them were investigated inside Texas by Texans. In both cases, they said, you guys need to winterize your plants. You need to winterize your natural gas lines. You need to bury them. You need to get ready for cold weather because more of this is going to come. It's part of global warming. It's called climate change. It doesn't mean every place gets warmer. What happens is as the Arctic gets warmer, the jet stream falls apart and that cold Arctic air just drools down over North America. We've been watching this go on for what? 10, 15 years now, 20 years, and it's going to get worse and it's going to get more frequent. So, you know, get your act together, Texas. Well, that's what they were told in 2011. That's what they were told in 1989. And they said, you know, yeah, we're generating $600 million a year in profits, all these for-profit utilities across the state of Texas, but we'd rather distribute that money to our wealthy billionaire shareholders here in Texas than use it to buy windmills that are weatherproof rather than just the cheapest we could get, use it to bury our natural gas lines, use it to put defroster or whatever, however you do it with the nuclear power plant. I mean, you've got a nuclear power plant in Texas that's shut down because their cooling system froze up. There are nuclear power plants all across the northern half of, of the United States that never, never shut down. What's the difference? Texas? Is it te the Texas is stupid? No, it's that they're intentionally ignoring this stuff so they can take out these short-term profits and give it to their billionaires. We listen to these Republican lies, and we it's just mind-boggling. You know, Donald Trump's lie that he, that in fact, he told it again yesterday on Fox News, that he won the election in a landslide. He lost the election by 7 million votes. He lost the Electoral College by the exact same majority he had won it against Hillary Clinton four years earlier, 306 votes. Remember Trump saying, oh, yeah, this COVID thing is just like the flu. It's going to go away. At the same time that he knew, we now know from Bob Woodward's book that he knew in January. In fact, he knew in December, in late December, that COVID was coming and that it was worse than the flu. And he told Bob Woodward this in March or April. But he lied to us. And people are like, well, you know, remember. 
They've been lying to us since 1982 when Reagan did his first massive tax cut that one and a half trillion dollar, two trillion dollar tax cuts are somehow going to help average working people. Trump got one. George W. Bush got two. Reagan got two. We've had five of these trillion dollar tax cuts now since 1982. How many of them have helped you? Average wages Average individual wages have actually gone down since 1982. Average household income is about the same. It's up around 10%, but that's because now you've got two and a half people in the average household working, whereas back in 1980, it was 1.3. I mean, these lies are just breathtaking. Now you've got Senator Ron Johnson, you know, idiot from Wisconsin, saying that, well, that wasn't an armed insurrection in the White House. I didn't see any weapons. That's five dead people. You didn't watch those guys beating the police with American flagpoles? I mean, what's astonishing is not just that the GOP is telling these lies, but that 70 million people believe them enough to vote for Donald Trump and continue to believe them. And, you know, in a vacuum, that would be astonishing. But when you look at the lies being literally repeated every day on Fox News, and if you think I'm exaggerating, go to MediaMatters.org and just scroll back through their, you know, through their archives, and you'll see that this is literally a daily event on Fox News. Or go to TheWriting.com, T-H-E-R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, The Writing. Not writing like with a pen, but writing like right wing. Dot com. And every day, you know, they push out a newsletter. You can sign up for it. It's free. There's no ads or anything. And they lay this out. I mean, this is not anything new. Back in the 19, back in 1980, Reagan decided selling the sizzle instead of the steak, the old advertising cliche, was the way to go in politics. And so he started giving us bromides and slogans and, you know, morning in America and all this other kind of BS. While in the background, he was handing money to billionaires, gutting the right of average working people to have a labor union, destroying protections for consumers, deregulating banksters, setting up uh, and deregulating giant corporations, setting up monopoly. He stopped enforcing the anti-monopoly laws in 83. He gutted this country. And we still have people lying about what a great president Ronald Reagan was. Reagan for eight years just to get the homophobe vote and the so-called Christian bigot vote refused to even say the word AIDS as thousands of people were dying and an epidemic was spreading across the country. Pretty much identical to Donald Trump with COVID. Here's the bottom line. You can have democracy or you can have fascism. Democracy requires the truth. Fascism only lives when there are lies. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.